0: Contemporary Reviews I spent an afternoon this week captivated and thoroughly entertained by reviews of the first publication of Frankenstein in 1818. Critics hated it. They were scandalized by it. I had to share with you excerpts from a few of my favorites to give you the flavor of their feelings about this novel. Two things before I do. First, Mary Shelley was the daughter of William Godwin, a notoriously controversial writer whose atheistic and anarchistic ideas were reflected in his writings about politics and in his novels. Second, Shelley, who was still Godwin at the time, published the novel anonymously, so that it would not be known it had been written by a woman but rumors got around of the author's connection to William Godwin, of her sex, and of her relationship with Percy Shelley, and the critics' suspicions often emerge in their reviews. After I read you these excerpts, I'll offer a little commentary of my own. Here is the first, from Bell's Court and Fashionable magazine. Quote, this is a very bold fiction. And did not the author, in a short preface, make a kind of apology, we should almost pronounce it to be impious? We hope, however, the writer had the moral in view which we are desirous of drawing from it, that the presumptive works of man must be frightful, vile, and horrible, ending only in discomfort and misery to himself. But will all our readers understand this? should not an author, who has a moral end in view, point out rather that application which may be more generally understood? We recommend, however, to our fair readers, who may peruse a work which, from its originality, excellence of language, and peculiar interest, is likely to be very popular, to draw from it that meaning which we have cited above." The next excerpt comes from the Edinburgh Magazine and Literary Miscellany. Here is one of the productions of the modern school in its highest style of caricature and exaggeration. It is formed on the Godwinian manner, and has all the faults, but many likewise of the beauties of that model. In dark and gloomy views of nature and of man, bordering too closely on impiety, in the most outrageous improbability, in sacrificing everything to effect, it even goes beyond its great prototype. But in return, it possesses a similar power of fascination, something of the same mastery in harsh and savage delineations of passion, relieved in like manner by the gentler features of domestic and simple feelings. We hope yet to have more productions both from this author and his great model, Mr. Godwin. But they would make a great improvement in their writings if they would rather study the established order of nature as it appears, both in the world of matter and of mind, than continue to revolt our feelings by hazardous innovations in either of these departments. Unquote. And it gets more entertaining. The next more scathing review is from The British Critic. Quote, we need scarcely say that these volumes have neither principle, object, nor moral. The horror which abounds in them is too grotesque and bizarre ever to approach near the sublime. And when we did not hurry over the pages in disgust, we sometimes pause to laugh outright. And yet we suspect that the diseased and wandering imagination which has stepped out of all legitimate bounds to frame these disjointed combinations and unnatural adventures, might be disciplined into something better. We heartily wish it were so, for there are occasional symptoms of no common powers of mind, struggling through a mass of absurdity which well-nigh overwhelms them. But, It is a sort of absurdity that approaches so often the confines of what is wicked and immoral, that we dare hardly trust ourselves to bestow even this qualified praise. The writer of it is, we understand, a female. This is an aggravation of that which is the prevailing fault of the novel. But if our authoress can forget the gentleness of her sex, it is no reason why we should and we shall therefore dismiss the novel without further comment. And finally, John Wilson Croker minces no words in the quarterly review. It cannot be denied that this is nonsense. But it is nonsense decked out with circumstances and clothed in language highly terrific. It is, indeed, a tale told by an idiot— full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. But still, there is something tremendous in the unmeaning hollowness of its sound, and the vague obscurity of its images. But when we have thus admitted that Frankenstein has passages which appal the mind and make the flesh creep, we have given it all the praise, if praise it can be called, which we dare to bestow. Our taste and our judgment alike revolt at this kind of writing, and the greater the ability with which it may be executed, the worse it is. It inculcates no lesson of conduct, manners, or morality. It cannot mend, and will not even amuse its readers, unless their taste have been deplorably vitiated. It fatigues the feelings without interesting the understanding. It gratuitously harasses the heart, and wantonly adds to the store, already too great, of painful sensations. The author has powers, both of conception and language, which employed in a happier direction, might, perhaps, we speak dubiously, give him a name among these whose writings amuse or amend their fellow creatures. But we take the liberty of assuring him, and hope that he may be in a temper to listen to us, that the style which he has adopted in the present publication merely tends to defeat his own purpose, if he really had any other object in view than that of leaving the wearied reader, after a struggle between laughter and loathing, in doubt whether the head or the heart of the author be the most diseased." Given our modern sensibilities, I imagine few of us were scandalized by the impiousness of Shelley's project, or appalled by her betrayal of the gentleness of her sex. Most of us are able to relish the novel for the elements the critics very cautiously praise—its originality, excellence of language, power of fascination, and delineation of both passion and of gentle domestic feeling. But I discovered a theme among these reviews that does have my sympathies, and that captures something I've alluded to before. All these critics are dazzled, grudgingly or not, by Shelley's masterfully inventive, poetically descriptive, but in their view, shockingly impious story. None of them are convinced it has a moral. Shelley's efforts to turn this ghost story into a cautionary tale about the Promethean hubris of man are unpersuasive to the critics and to me. But unlike the critics, I'm undisturbed by that.